Okay, Boker Tov. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, Boker Tov. Um, so, uh, today's stop is Yutet. We pick up at the bottom of Yutchet Um and, um, oh, that's what you've been using. And, um, we start with, um, um, Itmar, if there's an asterisk near where it begins, about 20 lines from the bottom, from the bottom, the first words on the line are, let's say to Puraniyot. Um, okay, so Itmar, it was said, um, it was taught, Rav Rebbe Hanina, debate of Rav and Rebbe Hanina. Some have it as Rav Hun and Rebbe Hanina. Um, Amri Butler Megillah Ta'anit, the, the scroll of fasts is a nullified. The scroll of fast is not nullified. What is this Migilat Ta'anit? This is actually a very ancient document that dates from the Second Temple period, um, and it was listed all of the dates in which you do not fast. You're not allowed to fast. All of the minor uh, festivals that were decreed for the Jewish people, a lot of them related to things around the Temple or things that occurred in the Hasmonean period. Um, Hanukkah is listed there, as we will see, as one of the things that are days that you do not fast. The days that you do not fast and you cannot say a hesped, you cannot eulogize. Okay, and it's a, it's a really a, 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 like I said, an ancient book from Sambal Tegel period that mentions it's of historical significance because it gives, you know, the reasons in a very brief half of a sentence. This day because of X. This day because this happened. This day because of that happened. But it actually gives some, you know, it gives some historical facts of things that happened um, in that period. Um, it is, um, you know, it's interesting. It just as jumping forward, I guess, about a thousand years. Yeah or more, more than a thousand years forward, um, there was, you know, in the Middle Ages, because there were so many wars that the, uh, you know, amongst all these various uh, nations, the, there was like, the church made like a million of these tiny little minor holidays, saints days and other holidays, and you weren't allowed to have war on those holidays. <laughs> so they managed to like, uh, you know, try to limit the amount of days during the year that they, that they, they could actually, they, they, the nations could be at war. But anyway, these were days that you could not fast or have a tanit. Um, and um, we actually have a very, you know, a uh, um, manuscripts of, I mean, not dating back to then, but we actually have um, the actual Megillah Ta'anit as was, you know, copied over, over, you know, over hundreds of years in manuscripts. And there's, um, I had meant to bring in this current scholarly edition, I don't have it, but there's an excellent new scholarly edition by this woman scholar, Zared Noam, in Israel. And in addition to the Megillah Ta'anit, there's a part called the Scolion, the Scolia, which are the, like, later, um, 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 additions to it and those were written you know somewhere in the Talmudic or post-Talmudic period and at times are like influenced um, by the Gemara's interpretation or discussion about it and uh, you know ours is one example so it's actually quite interesting because this isn't our topic now it was the topic in Shabbos when we did my Hanukkah the Scalia the Scolion of the Gilat Ta'anit you know there are like two different um, 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 branches of the traditions of what that, those Scolia are and uh, the whole sort of Gemara story about the Nes Hanukkah and going in and finding the Shemin etc had like an influence on the later versions of those Scolia and how they got sort of you know merged and hybrid, made hybridized and rewritten and so on but anyway we do have these versions of Yigilat Ha'anit both the basic version which is very brief here's the date here's what happened one sentence or a half a sentence and then the sort of later um, elaboration 
duration of it, um, which was written more in the uh, Talmudic and uh, post-Talmudic period. So the question here, Zered Noam. So the um, so the uh, discussion here in the Gemara whether Batla Megillah Ta'anid is. Is, are those days, you know, does, does the halachic status of those days remain? Are you still allowed to, not allowed to fast and eulogize on those days? Since most of those holidays commemorated events in the Second Temple period that were connected to the Second Temple and ones that we certainly don't have any resonance in later generations, do those days remain considered minor holidays for this purpose? So let's take a look. Um, so it says like this, Rav Rebbe Chanina Amibatlin Gilatanit, Hachikamba. So now going back to this discussion we had yesterday about not these about these five fast days and it said these five fast days were fast days and they will be for rejoicing. So here's how to read the verse. When there is peace, those things which have been fast days will turn into days of rejoicing. And when there's no peace, meaning in the time of the Korban Habayis, um, or we've said before, maybe it even means at the time of oppression, there'll be fast days. Those are the five fast days as we know them. And these days also mentioned in Megillah Tanit. Kihani are just like this. After the Korban Habayis, they stop being days of rejoicing, and they become, no longer have their status. Now, of course, it's a little bit ironic. It's a a bad analogy, because the five fast days started as fast days. The point is that, paradoxically, at the time of the Chor, at the time of there is a base HaMikdash, they somehow become days of rejoicing. Even that's hard to get your head around, but somehow, I guess, you could sort of see that the, you know, that the, that, that, that it's to sort of make a point, you know, these days have been terrible, they've been tragic, we're destruction. Now we have sort of shown, you know, we have the last laugh. History has reversed itself. We now have a Beit HaMikdash. So somehow, you know, they become days of rejoicing. Fine. But when there's no Beit HaMikdash, they go back to their natural state. Their natural state is days of fast because they started as days of tragedy. Whereas the days in Megillah Ta'anit started as days of rejoicing. So maybe they retain that status even when there's no Beit HaMikdash. So it is a very strange analogy. Since when there's no Beit HaMikdash, the fast days revert to being fast days. Similarly, these minor holidays lose their status when there is no Beit HaMikdash. That's the comparison. That's what, Ra- that's what Rav and Rabbi Hanina say. Rabbi Yochan and 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 disagree. They say, No, those fast days have not ceased having their status. It is the, the, um, the, the fast days that the Torah says when there is a Beit HaMikdash become days of rejoicing and when not, revert. So their status as days of rejoicing is explicit dependent on the presence of the Beit HaMikdash. Avohanach, the other minor fast, the other minor holidays, their status is not dependent on there being a Beit HaMikdash. Even when there's no Beit HaMikdash, they retain their status. And again, an easier way to say that is, is that, as I said, this, these fast days are fundamentally fast days. No Beit HaMikdash, they revert. The other days are fundamentally holidays. So even with no Beit HaMikdash, they retain their status as holidays. Okay, so comparing it to how the five fast days might change their status is a funny argument, but we have this basic issue of butler, megillah, tanit, or low butler. So, Masi Rav Kahana. We'll get to that. Yes, we'll get to Kahana. Masi Rav Kahana. Rav Kahana asks, 
Ma'isa begazu ta'ani pechan and In Lod, they made, um, there was a time where they actually said that there would, have to, there would be a fast on Hanukkah. Maybe it was for rain, maybe it was for some other purpose. So they basically ignored the fact that Megillah Tanit says, you know, no fasting on those days, Hanukkah being one of those days. The Yared Rabbi Eliezer verachatz Rabbi Yeshua v'siper. And Rabbi Eliezer went and he bathed. And Rabbi Yeshua went and he got a haircut. And they basically demonstrated in public that they do not recognize the fast. The Amulahem, and they said to the people who who adopted a fast on Hanukkah, you need to now make a fast to do tshuva for having declared a fast day. Okay, <laughs> so they basically publicly rejected their uh, making a fast on Hanukkah. So you see, low butlam gilat taanit. Okay, now by the way, you you know before you say, oh, Hanukkah is different. Okay, you know the point is take a look at Tosfos. We are Rabbi Eliezer Rachat. Tosfos says, "Masnisin dal kisei Hanukkah lo havi How about the fact that our Mishnah says that you still celebrate Hanukkah? Isn't that a proof that lo butlam gilat taanit? We still celebrate Hanukkah. So Tosfos says no. The laolam lechashiv yantav. A few hachim madrikin neirot zechelanet. Tosfos says no. You could still have lighting candles saying al hanisim, and you could still say butlam gilat. Why? Because maybe you could still have a fast day on Hanukkah. Maybe you could still um, have a tiny, uh, you know, have a hesped on, on Hanukkah. But Megillah Ta'anit is whether that is a day has a status of a minor yuntav to, to disallow a fast and a hesped. So, it does, so we could acknowledge that Hanukkah is still celebrated and still say it has no, but Megillah Ta'anit, it has no status from that perspective and you're allowed to have a fast. So that's what they were doing. All right, that's what they were doing. They were showing, don't think, you know, in low they thought, yes, Hanukkah, we'll light Neros, but we'll have a fast day. But let me give a it. And they said, no, low but let me give it. You're not going to be allowed to have a fast day. Okay, but again, it's important to acknowledge that you can, that whether you have Hanukkah as a status of a day of Hadrakas Neros, etc., is independent of the question of its, of its, of whether you're allowed to have a tainus on it or not. Okay, so they went in and they demonstrated this. So Amr of Yosef, so don't you see that low butla, that but, uh, excuse me, low butla, that you're not allowed to have fast days? Amr of Yosef, Shani Hanukkah the Ika Mitzvah. Hanukkah is different, and here he says he bridges that gap. Since there's a mitzvah of Lucas Neros, Hanukkah will be the one thing that will retain its status, okay? But that doesn't mean that other things, um, that other things will, will, will uh, not lose their status. Amalei Abayi, so Abayi said to him, I said, no, what, let's just wipe Hanukkah off the books. If we wipe everything else off the books, why shouldn't we wipe Hanukkah off the books? I mean, acknowledging that it's doing the Hadlakas Neiros is part of it retaining its status, but as long as we're saying, why shouldn't we wipe the whole thing off the books? So Amr of Yosef, no, Shani Hanukkah, I'm sorry, I said blind. El Amr of Yosef, Shani Hanukkah, the Mifarsim Nisa. Hanukkah is different because it was a, the miracle was very public. Therefore what? Again, that could just be a reason that it's not just technically that we do the mitzvah, you know, but maybe that it has particular weight because of the idea of how great the miracle was or because of our, the value of Pirsum Nisa. We don't want to be mezatolit. If you look at Rashi, Rashi t- spoke, speaks more about these sort of about the societal resistance to change. Rashi says, So Rashi says, not because of our desire to do Pirsum Nes, 
or because of the weight of it and therefore objectively we need to retain it it's such an important day but because it's so entrenched in society it's not something that we want to work at reversing okay so this is very interesting the question of butler lo butler megillah the first focus is the status of Hanukkah and the question is, can actually um, we not have Hanukkah at all? Or at least, if we're going to do a Tanit, allow the Tanit to override Hanukkah. Why is it, you know, and to override the Mitzvah of Hanukkah? Why is it that Hanukkah retains its status as Batla Megillat Ta'anit? Um, and the answer is, A, there's a Mitzvah and it's ritualized, and B, it's Mefar Nirsa, so there's this, all this weight and all this entrenchment of Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is not part of the discussion. Even if Batla Megillat Ta'anit not for Hanukkah, and you're not going to fast on Hanukkah. Okay, let's what get back to the Gemara. I thought there was like this time that they had a Zera, um, which was Tom Gedalia. Wasn't one of them? Oh, so you're very good, so let's keep on reading the Gemara. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, <coughs> all right, so that's the issue. Do, do the things still have their status? Hanukkah clearly does, but that might be that Hanukkah is special. So Vachabarhuna asks, but here's a line from Gilat Ta'anit. Plus of Tishrei, but Tailit Adkarta means Taraya. And the third of Tishrei is one of the fast is one of these minor holidays because the God's name or the Azkara was was taken away was was negated from the Shtarot. Now that sounds like a bad thing, but that's the whole thing. This gives you a feeling of what the text of Gilat Ta'anit is, is like. Two words for the date, Betlas Betishrei, and four words for explaining what happened. Betelit Adkarta Mishtaraya. Okay, the, the mention of God's name was taken off of the Shtarot. So that's the whole thing. Then afterwards comes the explanation, and this line that we're now going to read in the Gemara is part of one of the of one of the the Askolot, one of the Skolia that are on the um, that are. It sounds like I'm talking about a, a Supreme Court justice. Oh, that too. Anyway, okay, that's on the Megillah. So let's take a look. And now here's the explanation. It's interesting here, right? The later text is in Hebrew. But again, the earlier one, Gilat Tani, was in, the, was in Aramaic. It was the vernacular. Okay. That the, uh, that the um, uh, uh, Greek uh, kingdom, you know, the, Hellenistic. Hellenistic, thank you, decreed that people could not mention God's name. You couldn't say God's name. Um, because and a lot of the dates in Megillatanit are connected to the Hasmonean period. Um, so when the Hasmonaim, um, you know, um, um, uh, were victorious over the uh, Hellenists over the over the Seleucids, so Hitkinushu Maskirim Shem Shemayim, they decreed that you should start saying God's name, you know, when you speak, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, and a few of wrote, and even mentioning God's name in legal documents. And this is what would be written in the legal documents. In the year so and so, to Kohen, Yohanan, the high priest, to, to the Almighty God. So they would write Elyon in the documents. Um, and when the sages heard of this, Amru, they said, What will happen? They'll write these in normal um, IOU documents, um, and somebody will pay up his debt, and then he'll be given back the document. And what will he do with the document? The so he'll throw it away. Probably he'll first tear it up and throw it away. And so you'll have God's name in the garbage. Who beat Loom? And they said, no more writing God's names in secular documents. Mm-hmm. The Oso Yom Asu Yom 
And that day they made into a yantam because it's not easy to change entrenched practices, certainly not entrenched practices in the business world. So the fact that they were successful, they made it into a yantam. Now it's quite interesting that we have, you know, we do have things from that period, coins and, and documents and so on. And absolutely, and some of the coins actually do have, say, the Yochanan Kohen Gadol. They don't, uh, I they don't think they say the Elion. Um, and um, nothing that we have found says the Elion. So, you know, in originally, so they ah, you see, it worked. So, <laughs> just like the old joke, what are you doing? I'm keeping away zebras. Oh, look, it worked. You know? so, all right. So anyway, but there are some interesting questions about, like, you know, about trying to historically root um, this type of a thing because it's, uh, because it's, anyway, we, there's no evidence that they ever actually did write the Elion in the document. Yes. Oh, right. And th- those things get tossed on the ground. There you go. Good point. That's I right. That's recent, it was, they never appeared in coins until the 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very interesting. Joe, what did you want to say? Was no? There, was there any okay. objection to that? Was there I any don't know. Oh. Because of that reason? Probably more you got objection from people. So they, so they, so they, they made the third of Tishrei a holiday because that was a day where they stopped including God's names and documents and that was an important religious Not event. what I get caught in the... Uh, <laughs> what Tishrei was about. Okay. Let's read what the Gemara says. Now, if you're assuming that Batla Megillah Ta'anit so this is seen as being a later takana. This is at the time of the Hashemunayim period. There were ones that were even earlier than that. So the Gemara says that if they were, you know, negated, you know, um, you know, ne- negated the earlier ones, why are they adding? Now, of course, again, when the Gemara thinks it was negated, it assumed it was negated after Chorban Habayas. So it's a very funny question because the negation happens at Chorban Habayas. This, the Gemara says, Gavram Machut Chashmonai, right? But maybe it seems the Gavram Machut Chashmonai is when they started saying, you know, Shem Shemayim, Yochanan Kohen Gadol. Some reason the Gemara thinks that the removing of the Elion happened much later than the Chashmonaim period. It happened somehow it thinks in the post Chorban Abayis period. So the Gemara says is if they started, if they eliminated the whole Megillat Ta'anit, what are they doing adding dates after the Chorban Abayis? So it gives an obvious answer. Who said it was after the Chorban Abayis? So the Gemara says, Haram Ha'askin, it was Mancha Beis HaMikdash Kayim. No, that happened when there was a Beis HaMikdash. But now we're going to see why the Gemara assumed it happened after Beis HaMikdash. Let's take a look. So it says the Gemara, top of Yotar Amaralev, the taper clay, the Havile Yom Shenehrag Bogadayi Ben Achikam. One minute. If it was after, if it was during, if it was post Chorban Abayis, I understand why you want to make the third of Tishrei into a holiday. Because post Chorban Abayis, what would the third of Tishrei be? It would be a fast day. Mm-hmm. It would be Tzom Gedalia. So then you'll have a need to make it into a holiday. That's why I was assuming this happened after Chorban Abayis. You're telling me it happened before Chorban Abayis. Who needs to make it into a holiday? Tzom Gedalia is already a holiday during the time of the Beis HaMikdash. Because what have we just said? That during the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the fast days are holidays. So how could this be during the Beis HaMikdash? Who needs to turn the third of Tishrei into a holiday? It's already a holiday because of Tzom Gedalia. You've got to love the irony. It's a holiday. It's Tzom Gedalia during the time of the Beis HaMikdash. I, keep, I told you once that my brother was once at a Hasidic show on Tzom Gedalia and they didn't say Tachanan because it was Gedalia's Yortzeit. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so that's what the Gemara says here, okay? It's Tzom Gedalia. It's a holiday. Who needs to make it another holiday? So Amarav, Lo Nitzcha Elesha Shelofanav. No, 
by turning it into a Megillah Ta'anit holiday, not only is the day itself forbidden in fasting, but even the day, prior, the day previous is forbidden in fasting. So, the, well, okay, take a look. The Gemara says, well, let's assume it was a one-day Rosh Hashanah. The Gemara says, you could have said Rosh Hashanah. The day, the, the day before is the second of Tishrei. That's the day that follows Rosh Chodesh. So the same way a holiday impacts the day before, it impacts the day after. So since you don't fast, obviously, on Rosh Chodesh or Rosh Hashanah, you're not going to fast on the second of Tishrei either. So who needs to give special status to the third of Tishrei? This is no. Rosh Chodesh The status of Rosh Chodesh as a minor holiday is biblical, and therefore we don't strengthen it and we would not have the impact on the day after it. So only because it's a rabbinic Megillah Ta'anit day on the third of Tishrei does that impact the day before the second of Tishrei. Again, assuming it's not a two-day Rosh Hashanah. The Ta'anit, we talk in the Brisa, Hayamim Ha'elu HaKtuvim B'Megillah Ta'anit, these days that are written in Megillah Ta'anit, Asuim Bein Lifneim Bein L'Achareihem. They make forbidden in fasting, Tosos has a long discussion about whether they also do this for their Hesped qualities, but for their fasting prohibitions, that applies to the days both before and after things listed in Megillah Ta'anit. Shabbatov v'yamin tovim heim asurim lifneihem v'lachareihem mutarim. But on Shabbat and Yom Tov, you only can't fast on the day itself, but before and after you can. Ma hefresh bein zeh lezeh. What is the difference between one between these two? Halalu divei Torah ve'i divei Torah tzvichim chizuk. One is biblical and does not the status of the day and does not need strengthening, so it's only the day itself. Halalu divei sofrim divei sofrim tzvichim chizuk. The other is rabbinic and literally sofrim because it's Megillah Tanit. It was actually a very early scroll, right? It was called Megillah for a reason, even though it was a period of an oral tradition. The reason it's so brief and the reason it's in Aramaic was because it actually was written down. It was a, and it was a written and it was a scroll. So anyway, those need strengthening and it applies to the day before and the after. Okay. So now. Um, okay, that's presumably later. It's not in terms of, it's a good question, how exactly, I'd have to, I'll have to look about how, when that historically developed. So the Gemara says, The Gemara says, I still don't get it. You, you said that this happened during the time there was a Beis HaMikdash. We said, when there was a Beis HaMikdash who needed to add it to, 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 to Megillah Ta'anid, it was already a holiday because it was Tzom Gizali, which had become a holiday, and you said to give status to the day before, but why wasn't there status to the day before? on the basis of the fact that it was Tzom Gedalia. Same argument. It was already Tzom Gedalia. Tzom Gedalia was a holiday. That should have had the status of the day before as well. What did you gain by adding this as a special Megillah Ta'anit holiday? Well, yes. How, how could it have been a holiday before the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed? I don't understand. Because the Pasuk says that it says, When they came to rebuild the second Beit HaMikdash, the people asked, should we continue to fast on the fast days? And the Chaya said back to them, No, those days that were fast days will now be days of rejoicing. So now that there's a Beit HaMikdash, the five classic fast days that we have were days of rejoicing. So that's exactly the point. So Tzom Gedalia has now become a holiday. So why did you need to add to create a new holiday on the third of Tishrei? You had the holiday of Tzom Gedalia. Uh, yeah, in time of the second base of Mikdash. He's been assassinated, and there he... At the end of the first Beit HaMikdash, right. and now, so seven years like, later, you know, second Beit HaMikdash... And, and there, I just want to get it clear in my mind, and they're having a Suda. Right. 
I mean, it's taking you a Sasson very literally. I know, it's completely ironic. But Don't was, gedalia, let's see. Exactly. Okay, so the Gemara says, this Gemara is very funny, the way it takes that, it takes that extremely literally. That is, how about, how about it's, how about it's Tisha how about it's Tisha let's see. Okay, anyway. So, I know, but the fact that a Dafka is a holiday, not just it's a normal day, it's Dafka a holiday. Right, that's the Gemara's point. That's uh, t- certainly ironic. Anyway, the Gemara says like this: the the I don't get it. The whole question was: we were saying that this had to have happened. Um, we, we we were questioning how this could have happened during the time of the Beis Hamikdash because it was already some Gedalia, which was already a holiday. And you're telling me that uh, that that it was to make the day before forbidden in 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 Ta'anit. But uh, same question: if it was already some Gedalia, then the day before should also have been forbidden. So as Gemara says, Amravashi Gedalia Benachikam Divrei Kabbalahu. No, some Gedalia is based on Psukim, right? And therefore Psukim in Nach Divrei Kabbalah means Psukim in Nach Divrei Kabbalah and that's like biblical and therefore since it is based on biblical verses maybe not Torah verses but verses in Nach so therefore it would not make the day before it forbidden so quite ironic and I guess Tom Yudaya becoming a holiday is based on the Pesukim in Zechariah so here's the point again why did we have to make the third of Tishrei the fact is that we made the third of Tishrei a minor holiday the Gemara assumes that's post-Chorban so that shows Lobotlam Gilatanit it's still an active idea post-Chorban and I says no it's during the uh, during the Beit HaMikdash during the Beit HaMikdash the third of Tishrei is already a holiday because some Gedalia has become a holiday and the answer is yes it's a holiday but because it's almost like a biblical holiday a quasi-biblical holiday it doesn't need the strengthening of the day before so by giving it another holiday status of this issue about the Shtarot and so on that made it a rabbinic holiday which also had the impact of the day before now you could say that the very fact that we continue post-Korban to celebrate to celebrate to commemorate some Gedalia maybe should prove because we're not retaining this holiday of the third of Tishrei. Well, anyway, as will come as no surprise, because you've never heard of any of these minor holidays in Megillah Tanit other than Hanukkah, we do pass in Batla Megillah Tanit, okay? But so far, we have not yet proven it. Let's keep on going. Yes. This seems like a huge halachic principle here. Did you Torah, Damu? Right. Yeah, you know, the Gemara uses it, uses it uh, at its discretion. Okay, especially here, we're not talking about its real halachic weight. We're talking about whether we feel it needs chizuk or does not need chizuk. So something based on psukim. Um, no. Chizuk is a rabbinic sense about whether people will treat it weightily enough and therefore do we have to reinforce it. So if it's based on psukim in the Torah or even psukim in Tanakh, then we know people will treat it weightily and we don't feel a need to reinforce it. Right? Whereas, whereas things that are purely rabbinic, we might have a greater need to reinforce. Okay, so the Lord says like, Masi Rav Tuvi Barmasna. So Rav Tuvi Barmasna asked, uh, here's another line from Megillah Ta'anit. Basing the Tamnaya Bay on the 28th in it. So what's it? No. Um, 28th is, uh, let me just see if Rashi's, Rashi says explicitly, Adar Kai, Megillah Ta'anit. This is from the Adar section. Okay, so, two days before Nisan or a day or two before Nisan okay um, so at least two days okay on the 28th of Adar Asas Besurta Tav Talihu Da'ai a good report the good report reached the Jews the La'ya that they will not have to take themselves away from the Torah again so that's the whole story 
six words. They got a report that they would not have to remove themselves from Torah. What, what happened exactly? So now comes the Hebrew um, gloss and ex- that explains it. The, uh, you know, the government made an edict, that they cannot learn Torah. We've heard about those edicts before. And they should not do a brit milah, and they should violate Shabbat. Okay? Also, this is assumed to be sort of in the, uh, you know, in the uh, sort of, uh, um, well, it's not, not exactly clear exactly when. Is this in the, in the Seleucid period? Is this in the Roman period? Okay, let's take a look. Um, what did Yehuda ben Shamua and his friends do? Now, Yehuda ben Shamua is, po- is post-Horban. Okay? Which means... Right. Right. More and more middle of the second century. Okay? So this is going to be... So this is going to be during the Roman period. And we know the Romans, right, like the Hadrianic persecutions and other persecutions had these exact things about not learning Torah, not doing Brit Milah, and violating Shabbat. Right. Okay. And here's again a Latin word, um, a matron. They went and they took advice from a matron achat, that all the important uh, Roman, you know, officers, um, um, government officials are, uh, were found by her. Does that, is that suggesting that she's, right, does that mean that she, yeah, it's not exactly clear. I don't know, I haven't researched it, but I think that matronisa is normally not used in the context of, of, of like, a prostitute or whatever it's used as a woman of important social rank who yeah the way that women were treated in Rome was such that powerful men would always get to have their way with them even women of important political even status or like married to important political men Interesting. Shocking how common that was. Really? Okay, so maybe they're both true then. A woman of important status, but it might also mean that men were by her for political, for sexual favors or demands. Okay, so anyway, she had a lot of influence presumably on these men, and they said to her, what should we do? Amalahem, she said to them, Go and do a, make a protest at night. So why exactly night? Hafkana, why, you know, you know, why at night? Because at night, like, the sounds are heard longer, or maybe it's a little bit more impactful to hear. Maybe. Maybe, but maybe also, maybe also the sounds, like, you know, the sense of the power of the crowd feels greater at night. So they had their own little Tiananmen Square. So, they went and they protested at night um, and they said which is like um, in the name of heaven um, are we not your brethren right I guess because again Esav is uh, you know brother of Yaakov we have the same father Yaakov so we actually uh, you know I'm not Yaakov Yitzchak we have the same mother Rivka um, why have we been treated differently than all other nations that you make these bad you know these evil edicts against us because in general it's true you know Rome and uh, the Seleucids before them tended to be pretty tolerant of course they were tolerant as long as you recognized their gods then you could keep on doing your own religion if you were people that were constantly rebelling and that you were people that also refused to recognize their gods you know their toleration might have worn a little bit thin but never they put a statue of your God in their pantheon. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, okay. But somehow that was effective. Maybe this woman sort of exerted her influence
it as well. The Oso Yom Asu Yom Tov, and that day was the Yom Tov. So again, it's so funny, like the difference of the days. One day was the Yom Tov because of, uh, they took the name of God out of Starot. Another day was the Yom Tov because basically there was this terrible, horrific decree from the uh, Roman government which was going to try to basically, you know, uh, drive everybody from religion and no Brit Milah, no Shabbos, and no Torah, and that got done away with. That's also a Yom Tov. Okay, anyway, like, very different significance, I would say. Anyway, all right, so now we have the 28th of Adar was a Yom Tov. So now let's figure out what we can infer from this. The Esau could die to Lamigilatanit, and if Gilatanit was an old Kamaisa Batulach and Isa Mosisan, if they're already stopped at the Chorban Abayas, you know, using it and negate, you know, negated the status of all those holidays, what are they doing post Chorban? Because Yehuda Ben Shemu is post Chorban. What are they doing post Chorban adding to the list? The fact that they're adding to it post Chorban shows that it's still active. Now, of course, the answer about all of these might be maybe they were Mevatel Megillat Ta'anit post Chorban, not after Chorban. The Gemara assumes, based on these Psukim of Yulis Asom Simcha, that the Chorban changes the status from Yantav to non Yantav, or from Yantav to Ta'anit, that if it was Butla, it was Butla after Chorban. The Gemara says, you see, it's not Butla, they're adding days even after the Chorban. So the Gemara says, and if you want to say you want to claim this is when there was a base of Mikdash so it can't be Yehuda Ben Shemur was a student of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Meir was a student of um, you know of uh, what do you call it of, um, of Rabbi Akiva so that was like in the middle to end of the second century Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Meir was after this how do you know that not Utana Mishnah how do you know that Yehuda ben Shamua was a student of Rabbi Meir? Not how you know Rabbi Meir was later. We know Rabbi, see Rabbi Meir was post Chorban. Now we turn to Meir. You have a, a, a glass vessel that has a puncture in it, a hole in it, and you fill that hole with lead. Um, you know, you have the whole, you know, that's why there was a lot of lead poisoning in the yeah. uh, ancient days. Okay? <laughs> so they filled it with lead. Yehuda ben Shamua says in the name of Rabbi Meir the Chachamim Tahrim and the Chachamim say it's Tahor so the whole point of bringing that in was to show you that Yehuda ben Shamua was a student of Rabbi Meir he said something in the name of Rabbi Meir now what does it mean he was Mitameh so there's a whole long Rashi and so I was just trying to figure it out the simpler answer, the simpler answer that Rashi has is, is that cl- uh, uh, glass vessels are only Mitameh rabbinically biblically there's no Tuman glass vessels metal vessels are Mitameh biblically so if you have a glass vessel that stops being functional because it has a hole in it and you make it functional again by filling it with metal yes. then it has the status of a metal vessel and it is biblically tamay whereas the Chachamim say no it is only a glass vessel you know Tosus is bothered but then it wouldn't say Chachamim mitaharim because then all they're really debating is whether it's biblical or rabbinic okay but nevertheless and there are a couple other possible reads of this but we'll stick with that read what's okay? going on this entire they're concerned with whether Mikilat um, is a Bar or not no we, uh, we know that it was always that it was affected for a long period of time. The question is, do the dates remain in effect and retain their halachic status after Korban Abayas? Or do we say that it was, that it was Batla? That a period came, they said, most of these dates connect to historical events at the time of the Beis HaMikdash, you know, and uh, that's ancient history at this stage. You know, either, it, either it's been overridden because, you know, we've got a Korban so that like wipes the slate clean or it's too much of a distant memory so they lose 
their status. So, so there's a theological implication well, for framing the time of the Korban as, so to speak, ancient, no longer applicable well, that was, in a new period. Okay, that was the way I said it. The Gemara never gives the exact reason. I mean, the Gemara does I'm tie it in. Yeah. yeah, the Gemara does tie it into this pasuk of when there's when there's a shalom, then it's sason and sinchan. When there's not a shalom, it's shalom. <laughs> So yes, presumably in a post-Horban period, in a period of Galut, then the joy that these days retain loses their power, right? So, you know, in the Galut reality, that seems to be the idea behind it. Okay, but anyway, what do you see? You see that they were still using it in the post-Horban period, in the time of Yehuda ben Tavai. So you see Lobotlu, because they were still using it. So the says Tanaiti, it's a debate of Tanaim, whether it was still in use uh, post-Horban, the time we taught in the Brisa, Hayamima Elu Haksivim Ben Gilat Tanit, the days listed in Gilat Tanit, Beimis Man Shabet Hamikdash Kayam, Beimis Man Shabet Hamikdash Kayam Asurim, Divi Rebbe Meir. So very interesting. Rebbe Meir says they retain their status, and they're even after the Korban Abayas. Now it works. Yehuda Ben Shemuel was a student of Rebbe Meir. It works out beautifully. So Rebbe Meir's student was adding to those days because Rebbe Meir now said that um, you know Rebbe Meir was the one that said, uh, well actually Yehuda Ben Shemuel didn't add. The story was in the time of Yehuda Ben Shemuel. He was one of the people that were part of. Of, you know that that effected the change in the Roman government's edict, but anyway, it, it's so that it works well. Rabbi Meir says the Megillat Hanid retains its status even post Korban. When there and here you get them to the theological statement, no. When there's a Beit Hamikdash, those days retain their status because they are days of joy. When there's no Beit Hamikdash, they become permissible to have fast days and to eulogize because it is a day of mourning. So this is an interesting reversal, right? The same way the days of mourning became days of joy, the five fast days in the time of the second Beit Hamikdash. Here we're not just saying these days of joy stopped being days of joy post-Korban. We're actually going to the opposite extreme. What used to be days of joy now, beco- joy now becomes days of mourning. In a way that's easier to understand than the reverse, right? How you take Tishabah, which is a day where tragedy, there was a tragedy of the Beis HaMikdash, a tragedy of the people, lives were lost. How you turn that into a day of rejoicing just because now it's the time of the Beis HaMikdash is hard to understand. But the reverse is less hard to understand. This was a day of joy because it, well, no, because everything worked, was going so well in those days. Now that we're living in a gullus exile, you know, bleak period, to think about those times actually maybe increases the sense of anguish, right? We're remembering how great things used to be, and now, you know, from our perspective, that increases the degree of loss. So again, quite interesting the way it's going from one extreme to the other. But the basic point is, not that you actually now start fasting on those days, but they do not have their status as minor yuntas. So the Gemara says, the Hilchosa and the Halacha is, Baklu, those days are nullified. Now in the Korban reality, those days do not have any halachic status. The Hilchosa and the Halacha is, Lo Baklu, they do not lose their status. So the Gemara says, Kashi Hilchosa, Hilchosa, we have a problem of two traditions of what the Halacha is. Lo Kasha, We've already indicated Hanukkah, now we throw in Purim. Hanukkah and Purim are days that have, that have lasting significance, maybe because they were entrenched, as Gemara, as Gemara said earlier, they were entrenched within society, maybe because of the Pirsim Hanes, the weight of the significance of those days, the fact that they were connected to Mitzvot, but those are days that did not get reversed, but every other day got reversed once there was a Korban Habayis. Yes, uh, Today, uh, 27 yard is a day that is listing Megillah Tani. 
Excellent. For what purpose? Uh, we stopped paying tribute to the uh, Greeks. Very nice. Great. I had meant to bring in the whole scholarly edition of the Gilat Ta'anid. Maybe I'll bring it in when we learn the sugi because it's a very... The yeah. sugi of the Gilat Ta'anid gets repeated in Masecha Ta'anid. Okay, uh, now let's continue. Right. But, um, yeah. uh, I find it's astounding that this entire discussion is um, culminating with Hanukkah and Purim. I mean, Purim has a biblical book. Yeah. Right. In other words, you might think that they would say that's why Purim gets retained. Right. Well, the Gemara never actually had to justify Purim get retained. It only had to justify Hanukkah. So you might be right. Meaning, it could just be that Purim obviously is retained. It's not based on the Gilat Tanit. It's based right. on a biblical book. You could be very well to be right. Okay. So now, so we're moving on in the Mishnah. So the first thing we focused on, which got us onto this discussion, is why are they going out for Tishba but not going out for? <coughs> and that led to a whole discussion that the minor fast days since they don't always apply and so on the Shluchim did not go out for and that gets to the whole Megillah about minor fast days minor holidays and so on back to the Mishnah the Shluchim would go out on Elul in order that people could figure out when Rosh Hashanah is assuming Elul would only be 29 days okay because obviously you can't go out Rosh Hashanah for Rosh Hashanah it's too late so Tishrei means Gudamodos and they go out again on Tishrei to tell people when Tishrei was established even though people were assuming it was established on day 30 of Elul but they would go out again just to reinforce that or to you know to make it certain that that was the day that it was established okay as a backup so the Gemara says enough so the Gemara asks the question I don't get it you went out on Elul because you could assume Elul was only going to be 29 days why do you have to go out again on Tishrei so the Gemara says, because maybe it's not 100%. It's possible that Elo would be 30 days. So you wanted to go out on Tishrei just to be certain. So the Gemara says, I'm a Rebbe Chinin Abakan, I'm a Rav, I'm a Rav, Ezra Ve'elech. But one minute, we say that from the time of Ezra onward, Lomatinu Elo Me'ubar, Elo has never been 30 days. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, Tosos uh, says why we say from the time of Ezra, because if you look closely in the Pesukim of Ezra, and you read them, it, it sounds like Elo was 30 days at that time from a certain story there. But anyway, mm-hmm. so why would you have to go out again on Rosh Hashanah? We could assume Elo was 29 days. So the Gemara says, no. Um, we never found because it was never necessary it doesn't mean it's impossible it's happened that way so far if it was necessary we would do it we would make it 30 days now what's the Itzterich so Rashi says it has to do with the fact that like you know when we want Yom Kippur to fall out on we don't want Yom Kippur and Shabbos to be back to back Tosa says you know, no, that's like, um, because that's not tikkun mo'adot in the plural. And anyway, Tosu basically says, it just means that the witness, if it happened, that the witnesses came late. Not it's because of manipulating calendar reasons. It means that the circumstances warranted because the witnesses didn't come on the 30th day. Because they can't write. We, we'd, make, we'd make it 30 days. So the Gemara says, one minute. Ha, Mikalka Rosh Hashanah. One minute. If you're going to make Elul 30 days, you're going to ruin Rosh Hashanah. Now, why are you going to ruin Rosh Hashanah? You're going to ruin Rosh Hashanah because everybody is celebrating Rosh Hashanah 
on day 30. Everybody is assuming Elul is 29 days. What you should do, this is the way Tosus reads the Gemara, sort of like one of those takanos of the time of Yochum and Zakai about when you accept witnesses, is you should refuse to accept witnesses on day 30, you know, that it was a 30-day Elul. You should always just make it a 29-day Elul regardless of what the witnesses say. Because if you allow for the possibility of a 30-day Elul, you'll ruin Rosh Hashanah. People will celebrate Rosh Hashanah assuming it was day 29 and you're now going to make it, you know, assuming Elul was 29 days and you're now going to make Elul 30 days. But the Riyadh is based on an astronomical reality. So that's what's going on, you know, but then there's this issue which we'll get to which is, okay, but Basin can always do whatever they want in the end and they can ignore that. So that's the way Tosis... Yeah, okay, well that's the way Tosis is reading it. You know, you shouldn't allow it. You should insist that Elul be 29 days. So the Gemara says, no. Better that Rosh Hashanah should be ruined, not really ruined, but people should have wound up celebrating the wrong day because they were assuming that Elu was 29 days, but we shouldn't ruin the other Moadot, meaning the Moadot should be made in the right time based on when the moon appears and we're not going to just to, you know, not make it difficult for people. We're not going to not accept the testimony on the new moon. So therefore, although it, it has not yet happened that Elu has been 30 days it might happen we're going to allow for that possibility we're not going to disallow it and therefore we need to send out Shluchim on Tishrei because it is always possible it was a 30 day Elul now a 29 day Elul okay so Gemara says um, so yes that's in, that can be inferred this idea that we will accept witnesses for, um, for Rosh Hashanah Tishrei, uh, you know, up through, de- you know, even to allow a 30-day Elul, because it says the witnesses would go out to fix the Moadot. Um, um, uh, uh, that's a good point, which shows that the idea is Tikkun, fixing the Moadot, means that the Moadot are linked, and that Rosh Chodesh is linked to the actual time the new moon appears, which means that the Moadot are occurring in their right time, based on the actual appearance of the moon, and therefore it is always possible that it was not a 29 day Elul, it was a 30 day Elul, so we send out the Shluchim again, even though it's been very, very rare, we have to allow for that possibility. You know, that language is interestingly ambiguous, because it can mean the opposite. Tikkun Moadot could mean the baked Like the manipulation of it, yeah. Could be. Okay, <coughs> we just mentioned before Hanukkah and Purim as the two surviving holidays from the uh, pre the rabbinic holidays from the pre korban period, and those get re- and those we continue and we tend to ask shluchim so people know when to celebrate. Hanukkah was the one they had the most advanced warning for. So the Gemara says, abrashana yotzim af al lokhtani. One minute, you know what the Mishnah didn't say? You have the Mishnah is listing all the possibilities. Like it says, when there's a base on Mikdash, they go out for Pesach Sheni. So it should have mentioned another possibility. What's the other possibility? That if it was a Eber year, if it was a leap year, then the fact that they sent out witnesses on the first order wouldn't have been enough. They'd have to send out witnesses on the second order because the second order is when you celebrate Purim. So that didn't say that in the Mishnah. Why not? Masnis is a little to Rebbe. It's not like Rebbe. The time we saw in the Bryce, the Rebbe Omer in this Abrahashana, if it was a leap year, Yotin Afal Adersheni Neha Purim. You'd go out on Adersheni for Purim because Purim is going to be celebrated in Adersheni. Um, you know, you already went out on Adersheni, but now it's too late, so you have to go out again on Adersheni. Right. So. People are reobservant. Uh, okay. They're going out for Right, but that's even according to Rabbi. So you have to go out again on the Shani. So the Gemara is now going to ask. Yeah, they'd have to do a second firm. And, you know, even if they celebrated the first one. 
So that's clearly what Rebbe holds. So now the Gemara is going to try to figure out well, why, why did our Mishnah not mention it? And essentially, you'll say what you're implicitly saying. So the Gemara says, Let's say this is the, the, the debate. The author of our Mishnah holds all the mitzvahs that applied in Adarshani applied in Adarisho, which doesn't just mean like you got to do it twice, which actually could mean that if you did it in Adarisho and you were Yotze. So maybe our Mishnah holds you were Yotze in Adarisho, so they wouldn't bother going out for Adarshani. And Rebbe holds no. The mitzvah, even if you even if you did it in other rishon, it doesn't count. They only can be done in other shani, and therefore you need to go out again for other shani. So that's the debate whether you would need to celebrate Purim again. Now Tosfos asks some questions. Tosfos says, I don't get it. Even if you don't have to celebrate Purim again, you got to send out shluchim if you made a leap year. Why do you have to kind of send out shluchim if you made a leap year after everybody celebrated Purim? Forget that you're not going to have to do a Purim again. Why do I need to know you made a leap year? Because um, you're going to be starting to prepare for Pesach. When is Pesach? I need to know you made a leap year so I know not to make Pesach next month. So Tosha says, yeah, but that you'll figure out because you never heard of, because the shluchim from, from Nisan never arrived. So the absence of the shluchim of Nisan, you know, will be an indication they made it as a leap year. So, which is still pretty funny. You don't want people's basic celebration of Pesach to be so, you know, indeterminate. Okay, but somehow that's what the Gemara is saying. If the Gemara is ignoring the fact that you need to know it's a leap year in order to figure out Pesach, that's somehow you figure out. And the only, you know, maybe that message gets across. Oh, basically made a leap year. That you hear. Exactly which day <coughs> did they make Adar Rishon and Adar Shani? 30 days or 29 days? Maybe that you want here. Anyway, that's not bothering the Gemara. How you know it's a leap year and there won't be a Pesach? But the Gemara says, is, why don't you have to know it's an Adar Shani to do Pesach, to do, to do a, a Purim? And maybe the debate is whether you a Yotze Purim with Adar Rishon. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says, maybe that's the debate. The Gemara says, well, not necessarily. We could say everybody agrees that what you did in other Rishon didn't count. So if it didn't count, why don't you have to go out for other Rishonim so people know when to celebrate Purim? The debate is about the how ne- how much you would add when you made an Ibur Shana. What does that mean? Tatani, Tana Brisa. Kamer Ibur Shana. How much would you add for the Ibur Shana? Lamadyom. It would always be a 30 days. Okay? So, um, so, one minute. So, I just want to look one thing in Tosros, uh, in Rashi. No, so excuse me. Right, how much would other, it's a little funny, because you're like, con- conceptually, you're adding other shame. But since Adar Shani, it has the status of the real Adar, because Adar Shani is when you celebrate Purim, what winds up being the case is which year do you get conceptualized as the leap month, and which month is Adar Rishon, right? It's a little ironic. Conceptually, you're adding an extra Adar before Nisan comes about, but since that second Adar gets the status of the real Adar, the leap month conceptually is Adar Rishon. Okay, so this is the question of how long is Adar Rishon? How many days is the leap month that you are going to add? Maybe it's fixed, maybe it's just as determinate as every other month on the moon. Let's take a look. How many? How big is that month that you've added? Lamidyom, always 30 days. Once you're adjusting the calendar, might as well maximally adjust it and make it 30 days. <laughs> a month, which means, yes, but presumably a month in contrast to 30 days means 29, 29 days. days. So, the says, so anyway, 
Um, so the Gemara says that's the debate. So the point is, we don't have to send out shluchim for other sheni because again, presumably people will know that it was a leap year. How we can assume that people will know it's a leap year is not clear. Okay, that they'll get word of. So the only reason we would need shluchim would be to, if they want to know the precise day. Was the three, what, did the second other start on day thirty or on day thirty one? So the Gemara says maybe that's the debate. One opinion says that the, it will always start on day 31. Other Rishon will always be 30 days. So you don't need Shulchan. People can figure out when Rosh Chodesh Adar Sheni is. And the others say, no, it'll be a Chodesh. So the Gemara assumes Chodesh is 29 days. So it says, okay, so it's also a fixed amount. So the Gemara says, uh, where were we? You say they announcements and uh, Shul? Like it's a, like I don't know. So the Gemara says like this. So, so the Gemara says, Lamed So you say that it was 30 days. They didn't need to send Shluchim because they would have known that the other region was 30 days. They would have known when other Shani began. <laughs> so Chodesh Namidi. So if Chodesh means 29 days, they also would have known when other Shani began. We're back to square one. Why do you need Shluchim for other Shani, assuming people know that it's a leap year? So the Gemara says, Amara, Papa, Mandama Chodesh. No, Chodesh does not mean 29 days. If you say Chodesh, it means Ratzah Chodesh, Ratzah Shloshim. It could be 29 or 30. It's a fair, it's, there's no fixed size for other Rishon. So what has the Gemara said now? The Gemara has said that, would you send out Shluchim for other Shani? It could be everybody agrees you need to know other Shani in order to make Purim. But would you send out Shluchim? So the Gemara is assuming that everybody also knows whether it's a leap year. So the debate whether you send out shluchim is just a debate of do can you can you without the shluchim figure out when other sheni began assuming you know it was a leap year. So if you say it's always a fixed size of other rishon thirty days and you don't need the shluchim you know it's a leap year you'll know when other sheni begins. It begins on the thirty first of other rishon the day after day thirty. If you say however the size of other rishon varies then you're gonna need shluchim even if you know it's a leap year because you still need to know exactly what day other sheni began so that you can properly celebrate Purim. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Um, okay. We've had that a couple of times. Yeah. I have no idea. The Holy Community of Jerusalem. Um, when you have two Adars, that you sanctify them on the day of their pregnancy, meaning day 30. So that the other other Rishon is twenty nine days and other Shemi is twenty nine days. The new moon begins on the pregnant day, the extra day on day thirty. So both others are twenty nine days. So the Gemara says, "Lameimra." This says the Chaserin Avidan Milein Lo Avdinan that we only do twenty nine day others, not thirty days. Before we had an opinion that Dafka we do thirty days. Here saying we Dafka do twenty nine days. So the Gemara says, midrei, But this is an opinion that's a third opinion. One opinion said, other Rishon could be 29 or 30. One said, always 30. This opinion says, oh, not only other Rishon, but other Rishon and other Shani, only 29. And that is to reject the position of Rav Nachman Bar If you look at the side, it adds the words, Darish Rav Nachman Bar Chizda, Rav Nachman Bar Chizda explicated, Hey, Rabbi Simai, Mishum Chagai Zechariah Malachi. Rabbi Simai testified quite fascinating in the name of the three Nevi'im, Chagai Zechariah Malachi, that were there in the building of the second Beit Hamikdash. So there's a few years between those two. <laughs> anyway, between Chagai Zechariah Malachi and Rabbi Simai. Anyway, he testified a tradition going back all the way to them. Al Shnei Adarim, Matu Adarim, Ratzel Asod, and Shnei Amleim Osim. You can make them both full. You can make them both 29 days. You can make one full and one chaser. Okay, you can do whatever you want. Okay, so as opposed to, now we have a range of opinions. One says it always varies. One says it's always 29 days. The other says it's always 30 days. Okay. 
And that was the practice that they used to do in the exile before they returned to the second base of Mikdash to have a lot of variation in terms of the size of the Adars. And the name of our master, they said, okay, so Gemara says, that's Rav. It's always one full and one lacking in that order, meaning Adarshani is, Adarishon is always 30 days, Adarshani is always 29. Unless you have an explicit testimony that the um, that the uh, that the other Shani was um, in its time, in time always means the previous month was a 29-day month. So we basically assume a 30-day other Risha on a 29-day other Shani, unless you have concrete knowledge that they made the other Risha on a 29 days. Okay, so you're going to be tested on all these opinions later. The upshot, of course, being that there's a whole range of opinions whether other Risha has to be 29 days, has to be 30 days, or is a variant. Okay. Anyway, but again. Do you need shluchim to go out for other sheni? Assuming that pe- we can assume that people know it's a leap year, you, whether you need shluchim or not for other sheni depends on whether you can all have a. If other rishon is always a fixed number of days, you don't need shluchim for other sheni. If it's a variant number of days, you do need shluchim. Let's look at one more line. Look at that. We caught up. So shalchulei v'mar ukva. They sent to mar ukva the following question. Are there some of the Nisan, the Olam Chaser? I'm not the question, actually, the statement that they, they sent the message that if it's in the other, that is near Nisan, meaning if it's other Shani, or if it's not a leap year, but the other immediately preceding Nisan is always 29 days, which fits into that statement in the name of Rav that it's 30 and 29. The one before Nisan is always 29 days. Okay? Um, so now the Gemara says like this Masif of Nachman, of Nachman asked on this. You would violate Shabbat to come testify. We're going to see this later that the witnesses could break Shabbat to come to the Beit Hamikdash to testify about two months. Al Nisan Val Tishrei, Al Nisan and Tishrei, because those are the months that you really had to establish in the right time, because those would determine when the Yomim Tovim would be. What was the yeah, or if you had to just, yeah, or carrying, if you had to mm-hmm. carry an old person who saw it and couldn't do the walking himself. Okay, so you can actually biblically violate Shabbat to come and testify on the new moon, on, on those two months. We'll see that at the later Mishnah. I get if Adar, the Adar before Nisan could vary, so you have to violate because... You don't, you, need, you, you don't know how long Adar is going to be and you need to establish it in its right time. Okay? Because obviously if you're coming for Nisan, it means that you are testifying that's when Adar, the Adar ends and Nisan begins. So if the Adar always ends on a fixed number of days, on 29 days, why would you be able to violate Shabbat? You know when Nisan is going to begin. Ela'iya Marta, top of Chaf Amadalif. If you say, La'olam Chaser, that Adar is always 29 days, so you know without the witnesses when Nisan will begin. So am I Mechalin? Why would you violate? Someone says, no. That even if you know what day it's going to be, but, and even if somehow you've manipulated it that it's going to be that day, there's a mitzvah to do it based on testimony, and that mitzvah, even if it, the calendar is not dependent on it, that mitzvah would tell you you can violate Shabbat. We'll just read one other version of that. 
we also taught it's going to be used the opposite way if you say there's always 29 days then I get why you violate Shabbat for Nisan that's a little ironic why? because it's already assuming the answer because it's a mitzvah to do it based on the testimony and that would be enough even though we know when the date would be but if you don't know whether it's going to be 29 or 30 days okay why would you violate why don't we just assume it's going to be a 30 day month and sanctify the following day okay so exactly what that means oh, I forgot it's Tuesday so we really have to end okay so we will see tomorrow why the Gemara assumes that you can use that evidence to prove the exact opposite okay so we pick up with that tomorrow whether other is always 29 days or whether it